Thank you. That's a, that's a beautiful song, and that, that's, that's the cry of the Christian heart, right? Fundamentally, that, that's our cry. You can have all this world. Just, just give me Jesus. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. This morning, we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. And, Lord willing, we, we get through the next 35 minutes, we'll finish chapter 1. So normally at the outset, as here, here's kind of a, a look into my sermon preparation. Normally when, when, I, when I have a passage, I'm, I'm reading it over and over and over, trying to, th- trying to identify what's the main theme here? What's, what's the purpose that Mark has grouped these stories or, or these groups of teachings together? And, and normally it's pretty clear. And so the introduction I use as, as, a, as an opportunity to ask a question or to tell a story or use a quote to, to help you think about the main idea of of the passage, of the sermon, well, there really isn't a unifying theme, and so there's no, there's no story, there's no quote, there's no introduction, we're just going to jump right in. But I will say at the outset that, that, that what Mark is doing here at the, at the end of chapter 1 is, is he's giving us an overview of, of the ministry of Jesus. So I've titled it the ministry of the Son of God because it's, it's a summary of sorts of, of the types of things that characterize Jesus' ministry as he's, as he's walking and teaching and in synagogues and, and healing and casting out demons. So, so it's a, um, yeah, it's a summary of sorts. And so, so let's, let's just look right at Mark chapter 1. So I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 29, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read all the way through the end of, of the chapter. So if you have your, your Bible, you can follow along as I read. I'm going to begin in Mark chapter 1, verse 29. And immediately... Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him, that is Jesus, about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up, and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Verse 32, that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he, that is Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases. And and he, that is Jesus, cast out many demons. And and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place. And there he, that is Jesus, prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And verse 40, and, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, and he sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for, for a proof to them. But he, that's, that's the leper, he went out and he began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Well, as I, as I looked at this passage, uh, there, there's, there's four pretty distinct sections. And so, so that's the, the outline that, that you'll see. 
Um, there, there's four outlines. So we'll see a, and all of these outlines, as, as I said, these are, these are characteristics, descriptors of Jesus' ministry. So in verses 29 through 31, we see a personal ministry. And then verses 32 through 34, we see a miraculous ministry. And then 35 through 39, thirdly, a, a dependent ministry. And then, then fourthly, verses 40 through 45, we see a, a secret ministry. Well, verse 29, if, if you were with us last week, you see it picks up right where we left off last week. We see Jesus and, and the four disciples who are now following them. We have these two groups or these two sets of brothers who are now disciple, disciples following him. And in these first two sections between verses 29 and 34, what, 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 I, what I see Mark doing is he's giving a zoomed in view of what's going on in Jesus' ministry in, in verses 32 or 29 through 31. It's a zoomed in view. And then 32 through 34, it's a, a zoomed out view. So that's what the first two sections, it's, it's a zoomed in and a zoomed out. And, and I think what the episodes narrated here, they give this, this personal side of Jesus' ministry and this general side of Jesus' ministry, specifically his healing ministry. So first, let's look at his personal ministry, verses 29 through 31. After leaving the synagogue, they go to Simon and Andrew's house. So they, they leave. You remember they, he healed the, the demon-possessed man, cast out the demon in the synagogue, and, and then they, they leave. And as soon as they get to this house, in verse 30, you see, they tell Jesus about Simon's mother-in-law. And what we see about his mother-in-law is that she lay ill with the fever, so Peter, this is one of the places where, where people say, well, Peter had a wife. He had, you don't have a mother-in-law without a wife. So this is, this is one place where he had a mother-in-law. Nothing is said about his wife. Some people will say, well, his, his wife, he, maybe he was widowed by the time he, he's ministering with Jesus. Who knows? Not really, not really, uh, doesn't really pertain to this. In this scene, what we find is, is he has a mother-in-law. She's ill with a fever. Now, I don't know the cause of her fever, but we know that she was laying down, debilitated. She, she couldn't do anything. She was in the bed and ill. And so the people, when Jesus comes into the, the house, verse 31 says, or actually verse 30, the end of verse 30, it says, they told him about her. Now, this isn't just an, hey, hey Jesus, just so you know, this lady's sick. Okay, this is, this is an, they're imploring Jesus, she's sick. They, they've seen Jesus at work, and so, so they're telling him in hopes, assuming you can do something about this. So they're, they're asking, they're telling She's sick. And then in verse 31, I mean, very matter-of-factly, Mark records, he came, he took her by the hand, he lifted her up, and the fever left her. I mean, just like that. It's easy to read that sentence and, and pretend like, oh, yep, yep, that's what happens. He came, he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. I mean, let, let's just stop and think about that. I mean, lots of us, lots of, lots of you especially, have been sick the past couple weeks, right? We, we've been under the weather kind of corporately as, as church. You've maybe gotten some elbow bumps from people afraid to catch what you got or to give you what they've got. So we, we, can, we can probably relate to the idea of laying ill in bed with a fever. I mean, that, that's this lady laying in bed ill. Maybe, maybe she had flu-like symptoms. You know, have you ever had the flu where your bones just hurt? You can't do anything but sleep. Maybe, that, maybe that's her state. Maybe she was sleeping all day. We don't know how long she had been sick, but we know she was sick. And she was laying in bed with a fever. And it's in that state that Jesus comes, takes her by the hand, lifts her up, and the fever leaves her. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think I have to emphasize, this is a miracle. 
This is a supernatural event. And I think one reason that, that Mark tells us this is so that we might, as, as we've seen throughout the whole chapter so far, we might behold the power and authority of Jesus. We might say, wow, look at this man. But, but I think another reason, and probably the main reason that Mark does this, records this story here, is because this highlights the personal nature of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus took her by the hand. We have Jesus, the promised one, the Son of God, who comes and takes this sick woman by the hand. I mean, Jesus could have spoken the word, be healed. He, he does that. There are instances where he does that. But here, he takes her by the hand. There's, there's this compassion. There's, there's this sympathy in a touch. Young people, you should learn to, to, to touch our older people, there's a, there's a love that's expressed with handshakes or hugs. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's taking her by the hand. And so this seemingly insignificant action causes the fever to leave her. And so Jesus, this authoritative, powerful one, shows compassion and empathy for this woman who's suffering. And so when Mark is zooming on this, this one person, this one healing account... It makes you stop and think differently about, about the rest of the healings that you read. In fact, we're going to read in the very next verses, hundreds of people are coming. And it's easy for us to think, oh, hundreds of people, yeah, that's one mass. But every one of the hundred had a situation like this one. This woman's life had been put on hold. She was sick. Her friends, maybe even her family, they, they, they probably assumed she was sick because God was punishing her. That's the assumption. If you're sick, you did something. You made God mad. And that's probably what her friends thought. So here she is, debilitated with a fever. Her life had been put on hold. And in an instant, the touch of Jesus, her life is transformed. Everything is set back right. The fever was removed, and there is no trace of weakness. I mean, you, you might expect, let, let me recover. Let me just rest the rest of the day. And I feel better, but I, I just need to rest to make sure, make sure I really kick this thing. Immediately, he heals her, and it's as if her sickness had never occurred. And this one woman's experience is, is what's going to be repeated over and over and over. And so we shouldn't miss the personal ministry of Jesus. He took her by the hand, lifted her up, her fever left, and she began to serve them. Her life is miraculously changed by Jesus, and her immediate response, her immediate drive is is to serve them, to serve them. I've got guests here. I've got to do something. I've got to get dinner ready. I've got to serve the master who's come to my house. And so I, I, just, I just want to pause here and, and, and make a couple applications. First, I think the first application is that Jesus transforms individual lives. Jesus transforms the lives of individual. I, I think it's important to clarify that, that Jesus doesn't heal this woman for the purpose of, of drawing a crowd. He's not just saying, look at me, everybody. He couldn't care less about his fame and popularity. He's, he's not a politician or a celebrity. Rather, he heals this woman because he cares for this woman. There's compassion and empathy that characterizes the mission and the ministry of this man, Jesus. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, let me remind you that, that you have been on the receiving end of the compassion of Christ. You too, like Simon's mother-in-law, are objects of his mercy and his compassion. You, believer, take heart. 
Take heart, Christian. The heart of Christ towards his people is that of sympathy. He, he identifies with your suffering. He's a high priest who, who knows what it's like to suffer. Maybe you're discouraged this morning. Maybe, maybe you had a hard week. Lousy week, rotten week. Maybe things aren't going like the way you think they should in, in whatever circumstance you're in. Or maybe your life isn't going like you thought it should. Christ cares for you. Christ died for you. I mean, these personal pronouns, they make all the difference in the world, don't they? I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, Jesus died. Yep, Jesus loves. Yep, Jesus is compassionate. That's one thing. It's a totally other thing to say, Jesus died for me, that Jesus loves me, that Jesus has shown compassion to me. Jesus transforms individuals. Let's not lose sight of that. What a gracious Messiah. But then secondly, the second application I think, think we can learn is that the, the response that we see to this transformed life, and that response is that of service. I mean, that's her immediate impulse, and I don't want to make too much of this. I don't, I don't want to press this too hard, but, but I do think that, that Mark makes an intentional connection between this miraculous, miraculous healing and the act of service. And so this, this, this woman, who she's actually she's unnamed, but Peter's mother-in-law, or Simon's mother-in-law, I don't think that as she goes about serving her guests, I don't think it's done begrudgingly or reluctantly or unwillingly. I mean, I imagine there's great joy don't you think? There's a smile as she's serving. There, there, there's maybe a, a song on her lips as she's, as she's serving, making dinner, or, or whatever she's doing. Imagine there's great joy in her service. And so I'd simply implore you, Christian, to consider your life and, and consider where are you serving? How are you serving? Who are you serving? Or, or maybe are you serving? I think we do see that that service is a Christian response to a, to a transformed life. If, if God has changed you, one of the, the results of that is, is service, considering others more significant than yourselves. And, and as equally as important, I would ask the question, do you serve with joy? And that, that's a challenge that, that as a parent of young kids, I don't, I don't just want obedience. It's too often, fine, I'll do it, Daddy. That's not what I want. Now, there's a difference between obeying and, and obeying with, with a happy heart, as we say, or, or a heart of joy. And I think the service here was, was motivated by joy. And so let, let's move on. Secondly, after we see the personal ministry, we see in verses 32 through 34, we see the miraculous ministry. So remember, we, we've zoomed in. We've seen the, the, the up close and personal. And now I, I think Mark is, is zooming out. So in verse 32, that same evening... Talk about a busy day. That same evening, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And then notice what Mark says next in verse 33. He says, quote, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now, now I don't think that, that Mark literally means that the whole city. I, I don't think he means that, that literally every single person had gathered at the door. I think Mark, I think he's using hyperbole here. I don't think, I don't think that's, that's a problem. But I think his hyperbole is making a point that, that the fame of this man, that the ministry of this man has created a following that has spread far and wide so that now all that he's doing is continually healing and casting out demons. Everyone is coming. It's like the line is growing. It's spreading far and wide. And, and notice the people who are coming. 
those with various sicknesses, and those oppressed by demons. Now, why might those be the ones who are coming to Jesus? I mean, Mark's recorded two specific examples of a man who's, who was possessed by a demon being healed, and now he's just recorded a, a woman who's sick with a disease being healed. And so, so word has gotten out, and those are the types of people coming. And in both of, those, both of the previous cases, Jesus addressed the problem. I mean, Mark is making it clear, Jesus is a miracle worker. And that, that's part of what his ministry is about. So now Mark's saying that everyone, the whole city, all who are sick and, and who, who had demons are coming. And, and Mark records, he healed many who were sick and cast out demon, demons. And so Jesus' ministry is a miraculous ministry. And, and now Mark, now he makes a curious comment there uh, about Jesus preventing the demons from speaking. Mark says he prevented them from speaking because they knew him. Now we're going to come back to that because in verse 43, I think a really similar scene or situation takes place. So hold that thought. I'm not, not skipping over it because it's difficult, but, but I'm going to hold it until we get to verse 43 because I'm, I think the point is the same. But so after a full day of ministry, okay, the, the curtain closes on that day. We assume that Jesus and his disciples finally got some rest. That's an assumption. We, we don't know. But Mark, then in verse 35, picks up the action on the following morning. So look there at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that's Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Now, I wish Mark would have recorded what he prayed for. We don't know what he prayed for. But what Mark wants us to know is that that Jesus prayed. That, That accomplishes the purpose. Jesus prayed. Jesus made time Jesus took time to be alone with his father. And so you can imagine at the outset of his ministry, things have gotten pretty quick. I mean, pretty hectic, pretty quick. And so Jesus needed this time. I think that's Mark's point, and that's why I've titled this, this third point, a dependent ministry. He needed this. He needed direction. He needed to hear from, from his father who had sent him to carry out this ministry. And so Jesus is dependent on God in his ministry. And I think that's what Mark wants us to see. So, so Jesus, he's not some sorcerer who's, who's working magic independent of God's help. Rather, Jesus, his authority, his strength, and his power come from God alone. He's dependent on God to carry out this ministry. And so there, there's some clear applications from, from that verse alone that, that we'll come to, but, but notice here, notice where the place where Jesus goes to pray. Notice how the place is described. A, a, a desolate place. Jesus rises early in the morning while it's still dark, and he goes out to a desolate place. Now that term, desolate places, is literally translated a wilderness place. He goes out to the wilderness to pray. And, and the last time, if you remember, the last time we encountered the wilderness was when, when Jesus was there with Satan, right? And the temptation, and it took place in the wilderness, the desolate place. And now, at the outset of Jesus' ministry, he retreats to the wilderness place. And so there's, there's this shift that's taken place. The, the place of temptation, I would argue, is shifted. Whereas before the temptation was in the wilderness with Satan, well, now he's in the crowded city, and I see the temptation is there. So he's retreating back to the wilderness, away from the temptation. I think he would be tempted to lose his focus, to get distracted get distracted about his mission. So, so he retreats and goes to wilderness. And, and another reason, I think, that he's gone back, that he goes back to a, a desolate place, is to remember his first experience in the desolate place. 
where at the outset of his ministry, he's consecrated for his ministry, where Satan is, is throwing all that he's got at him, and the Son of Man faithfully, faithfully stands in the face of temptation and opposition, opposition and is faithful to obey God. And so now he's remembering his mission. Last time I was in the wilderness, I remembered why I was here, and that's still my reason. Remind me of that, Father. Help me know what to do, because there's a ton of people who are calling for my attention. It's good things. I need to know what I should do. He's dependent on his Father to guide him, the Father who sent him. And so notice, as verse 36, as the story continues, we see Peter. We see Simon Peter. We see him and the disciples, and they come, and we get their perspective on what's going on. So Peter finds him, and he says, what? Everyone's looking for you. I don't know the tone, but, but Jesus, what are you doing? Everyone's looking for you. In other words, I think what Peter and the disciples are saying is, is come back. This line is out the door. We need your help. We can't do what you're doing. If you want your credibility to stay, if you want more followers on, on Twitter, Facebook, friends, you better come back because they're going to start going away. They're lining up. Come on back, Jesus. And that doesn't seem like a bad plan, does it? I mean, that seems, that seems logical. There's people in need, and, and you're the son of man who has power and authority. You should probably go address those. That's what the disciples think. That's what Peter thinks they should do. But, but that's not the ministry path that Jesus is going to take. He spent the early morning in prayer with his father, and he has a clear vision and purpose. And so in verse 38, he can confidently say to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. In other words, after spending focus, set aside time with his father, Jesus tells his disciples, let the sick and the oppressed gather, we're leaving. I came out to preach. And so Jesus is emphasizing his message over his miracles. I mean, I think, I think he's, he's making that clear distinction. It's about his message. And the, the miracles are our means to point to the message. And when the, the miracles exist as their own means, he's done there. He could have spent weeks, probably months there in Capernaum, healing the sick and casting out demons, but his purpose was to preach the coming of the kingdom. His purpose was to call people to faith and repentance. And there in Capernaum, he had already preached and they'd heard his message. He had, to, he had to move on to preach. And so there in verse 39, Mark records that he went all throughout Galilee preaching and casting out demons. And so his ministry would still be marked by the casting out demons and, and the healings as well, but, but he was going to keep moving, prioritizing, preaching the good news of the kingdom, the, the healings and the exorcisms. They, they served merely to confirm the presence and, and the power of the kingdom of God that was there now. I mean, think about it. The, the physical healings, they're, they're still only temporary, aren't they? Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law is going to die again. Not again. She's going to die. She, maybe she'll get sick again before she dies, but she's going to die. It's a temporary healing. But the, the coming of the kingdom, that message that proclaims that, that a right relationship with God is possible through entering the kingdom, through faith and repentance, that message has eternal benefits. It brings physical and spiritual wholeness. And so he was there to preach the coming of the kingdom. And so 
two applications that I'd simply make here. First is the necessity of time alone with God. I think that's every, every time you've heard this passage preached, this is probably an application. I think it's a right application. Mark stresses that in the midst of a hectic schedule, Jesus takes time to be alone with God. He takes time. He makes time. He realizes that the success of his ministry depends on his trust and his reliance on God. And so I think we see an example here. How much more, Christian, ought we to do so? How much more are we dependent on God? Here we have the Son of Man, the Messiah, taking time to spend with his Father because he's dependent on him. How much more ought we to be dependent? And so, Christian, do you have, do you have a hectic life? Do things sometimes get busy? Do you ever, ever feel worn out by life in this world? Are you overwhelmed by the task before you? Do you, do you have a big decision that you need to make? Do you need, do you need wisdom? In these verses, we see the Son of Man taking time away in a desolate place because he realizes that the success of his mission depends on trust and reliance on God. And that dependence is expressed in spending time alone with God. And so I'd simply ask you, are you living a dependent life? Are you living a dependent life, Christian? Or are you trying to tackle life by yourself, apart from God, independent of Him? Brother, sister, we, we, we're called to live dependent lives, and that's for our own good. Let us learn from the example of our Savior. Let us fight, fight, fight for time alone with Him. There's a great John Bunyan quote that, that, I, that I often come back to. He says, you can, do more, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. There's lots you can do after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Well, then second, a second application I see here is, is the necessity of a, a focused life. How easy it would have been for, for Jesus to stick around Capernaum and spend his days healing the sick and casting out demons. And these wouldn't have been bad things. In fact, they're really good things. I'm sure the people would have really appreciated that. But that's not primarily why he came. His clear purpose was to preach and proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God and to call people to respond. Jesus was focused and Jesus knew his purpose and was driven by his purpose. And so simply how easy it is for us to lose focus to live distracted lives. Let us, let us strive to keep the main things the main things. And so for Christians, we're called to love God and love others, right? There's two commands. How, how hard could that be, right? If, if you've been trying this for a long time, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. So we're, we're called to do that. Our lives should, should, should be shaped by these priorities. We're, we're, we're to live focused lives, sharing good news, making disciples. These are things we're called to. Well, then lastly, let's look at the fourth Fourth section, a secret ministry, verses 40 through 45, a secret ministry. So, so chapter 1 closes with another interaction with a sick person, but, but unlike before, instead of someone telling Jesus about the sick person and Jesus going to them, here the sick person comes to Jesus. And this person doesn't have an unidentified sickness. In fact, this person has a clearly identifiable sickness, and that's, that's leprosy. Look there in verse 40. A leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And so this man has a disease known as leprosy. Now, now this, is, this term is used for a variety of skin diseases. If you want to learn about leprosy, read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. 
Okay, it's, it's various skin diseases, but this man had a skin disease known as leprosy. and had various forms, but, but these people, the, the lepers, like corpses, were considered unclean. And so by nature of this man's disease, he would have been an outcast, excluded from normal relationships. He'd been an outcast of society. He, he'd have been outcast even from his own family relationships because of his disease. And again, people would have said, wonder what he did. wonder why God's punishing him. Or like the man born blind in, in the Gospel of John, the disciples are, are convinced, well, why is he born blind? Was it his sin or his parents? And Jesus flips that on its head. But here, this man has leprosy and is an outcast. This, to have such a condition would have not, would, was not just a health liability. It made one a prisoner, cut off from all normal life. And so understanding kind of, kind of the background of leprosy, it changes how, how we envision the scene taking place. This man, he's not welcome. We don't know the, the immediate context surrounding, but, but I think it's safe to assume that there's a crowd following. This is a very public situation, and this man is coming to Jesus. And so he's, he's out among people. Maybe people are shouting, unclean, unclean, get away. He's going. He's, he's boldly approaching Jesus, ignoring the Old Testament requirement for him to keep his distance. He's willing to chance that Jesus has both the power and the grace to heal him. He's putting it all all of his hopes are, are on Jesus, not, not only his power, but his grace to do it. And so notice the response of Jesus there in verse 41. Man comes to him, throws himself down, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Be clean. Notice verse 42. We're not surprised at this point. Immediately, the disease left him, and he was made clean. So just like we saw with Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus touches the sick and diseased, and they are immediately clean. This is a power and authority unlike anything these people had ever seen. This is no ordinary man. But then notice verse 43, the, the curious command that Jesus gives, gives this man. After he's healed, Jesus, verse 43, sternly charged him, and sent him away at once. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So two commands. First, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone about this. Second command, go show yourself to the priest as, as proof that, that you don't have the disease anymore, that you've, you've actually been healed and you're clean. So there's two commands. Don't tell and then go show the priest. So why these commands? Why, why not tell anyone? Why not? I mean, it's similar to what we saw up in verse 34 with the demons. He, he prevents the demons from speaking, speaking because they knew him. And so Jesus seems to have this preoccupation with, with not being known. It's like this, this messianic secret. I can't, I can't have people know. Is he afraid of people finding out? I think, I think the point is, he, his reputation and his fame, he wants to prevent them from spreading. His miracles, Jesus knows his miracles, they're not generating faith that he's looking for. As, as words get out, as word gets out that there's a miracle worker, people just bombard him. They, could, they couldn't care less about, about who he was or his message. They just want him to heal them. 
And the, the, the wider that his reputation spreads, the more people come and he's prevented, as we saw earlier, from, from carrying out his purpose. And so it, it can't get out because it will prevent him actually from doing what he came to do. He's not opposed to healing the sick and diseased. We've just seen that, that healing, physical healing, is not the primary purpose for his coming. And so this, this desire for a secretive ministry, it's actually based on desire for effective ministry. And then secondly, what we'll see, this, this will come to a head next week, but, but the faster that the news spreads, the faster that his conflict with the religious leaders will rise. Because what's going to happen, if this man goes to the priest and they acknowledge he's clean, they have to acknowledge also the person who cleaned him, the person who did this, and, and they, we'll see, they, they will not do that. They refuse to do that. So the conflict, is, as Jesus, as his reputation spreads, the, the, there's going to be this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, and, and that'll come to a head next week, we'll see in, in chapter 2. But secondly, why, why go to the priests? Why, why that charge? And, and actually, Mark doesn't record if, if the guy does this or not. I assume he does, but, but who knows? But there had to be a public witness to the fact that he, wasn't, that he wasn't unclean anymore. The leper couldn't be restored to full function within Jewish society until a priest said, yep, he's clean. That was required. And one point, and numerous commentators made this point, but one point that stands out, especially when you compare the role of Jesus with the priests, is that these priests, these experts in the law, they had no power to make him clean. They couldn't do it. They could only diagnose, yep, clean, nope, unclean. That's all they could do. They could only read what they saw before them. But here's Jesus, who not only declares clean, but he makes what he declares. He declares clean, and the man's clean. What the law is powerless to do, Jesus does with his word. Jesus makes clean. And so after receiving the command, Mark, Mark doesn't say if he, if he actually goes, but what he does record is that the man went out and began talking freely about it. And the news spread. Just what Jesus said not to do. Can't you just obey, man? It's understandable, isn't it? He can't contain his testimony, what just happened to him. He had leprosy, and, and like that, it's gone. It's hard, it's hard to be upset with this man. It's hard to fault him. He was sick, now he's well, he had to tell. But, but Mark records the result of this man's telling. There in verse 45, Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. That's what happened. He, he had to go out in desolate places, but his fame had already spread to such that, that he can't even get away from people. They're coming out to the desolate place. So it's not just Peter looking for him, now it's, it's crowds. Oh, I saw him go this way. Follow the trail. And so this man goes out, refuses to obey Jesus' command, and Mark makes clear that, that difficulty results for Jesus and his ministry. Crowds and crowds are coming to Jesus, looking for him to fix their problems, but most of them have no interest in his message, in the kingdom of God at hand. And so we see that the fame and popularity of Jesus, the very thing he is cautioning the leper from generating, is exactly what happens. And so let me close. I'm going to close. I'm, I'm done with these two applications. And so I want to, I want to make an application first to the non-Christian and second to the Christian. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to notice the willingness of Christ in this story. Notice the willingness of Christ, the, the Christ of compassion and mercy, who says, I will be clean, who heals the man. This Christ is willing and able to receive you, non-Christian. There's, there's no past too dark. 
Jesus is willing and able to cleanse you because whether you know it or not, you have a disease that's far worse than any case of leprosy. Your disease, is, it's, not, it's not merely physical. You and me and everyone here are plagued by a disease called sin which has eternal consequences. And friend, you can't heal yourself. You can't go to a priest or a, a pastor or, or any guru to heal you. There's no healing outside of this man. But the good news is there is healing in this man. He is willing. Only Jesus has power and authority to do that. And the good news is he is willing. So if you're, you're not here, you're a Christian, let me implore you, turn to Christ Repent and and trust in Jesus. There's salvation in Jesus. He died for you. Would you trust in him? We're going to sing in in a few moments. And and if you want want to talk to me about this, I'll be standing down front. Come talk to me. I would love to tell you what it means to be saved, to be healed by this compassionate Savior. If you don't want to talk during the invitation, find me afterwards. I, I would have no greater joy than talking with you about this. But second, application two for the Christian Whereas in our passage, there's this messianic secret. There's this don't tell mentality. There's this hidden nature that that characterizes Jesus' ministry. That's not the case anymore. The the secret's out, everyone. Brother, sister, the secret is out. You are not called to keep it a secret. Unlike the leper, we have no command to keep silent. We are called to proclaim the message. If you're a Christian, you have a message. Did you know that? You have good news. You have a story to tell. You've been been saved. You've been healed. And and your healing is far greater than any leper has ever experienced. You have a story to tell. Christian, this is to myself as well. If, If we find ourselves rarely sharing the good news with others, perhaps we've forgotten the good news of what God's done for us. Perhaps we've forgotten it. Remember the gospel. Meditate on the gospel truths, believer. Meditate on on what God has done for you. While you were a sinner, guess what? God died for you. That's good news. Every day, that's good news. It doesn't get old. Ask the oldest saint, the most mature saint. You know, they don't tire of hearing, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We have a story to tell. It's good news no matter how long or how short you've been a Christian. Brothers and sisters, we have news to tell. The secret is out and we are free 